the easier it is some, for something to be made, the harder it is to sustain it. Right. Which is, the, right. it's right. not necessarily like what it's about because it's talking about like building apps. Mm-hmm. And it's more like the concept of like, if it's something's easy to build, like if you're just building something easy, it's going to be hard to sustain it. But if you're right. building something right. hard, right. it's going to be easier to sustain. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like the yin right. and yang, we can just tie that into like personal finance or something, right? Yep. Yep. Like yep. it's not, if you're just building an easy thing to do, it's easy to put money in a checking account or whatever. Right. Right. But it, that's hard to sustain your long-term goal or whatever. I right. Don't know. Right. Right. And that goes to Sam Altman's chat GPT has no social features or built-in sharing. You have to sign up before you can use it. No inerrant viral loop, et cetera. Seriously questioning the years of advice I gave to startups. Yeah. Like that's... Damn. Yeah, right. And the easier it becomes from a development perspective, the more baseline it becomes. Yeah, and the more easier it is for me to go in there and just be like, hey, I can just develop that in 15 minutes, create a spin-off app, and mm-hmm. boom. Games, that happens to games like all the time, like video games. It's crazy right. how many right. like just random spin-offs there are of right. things that random people make. Interesting, I was reading about how, don't know if this will tie into the podcast, but I was reading about the Epic Games system. Did you read about that? Or maybe that was in one of these articles, Epic I think, Games. I think it was in there. Yeah, man. That's that wild. super interesting. So Epic Games is basically making their system like accessible to developers. Mm-hmm. So you just like, yeah, here's all of our hard work. Go and build a cool game. <laughs> interesting. See, that's kind of like the Apple approach, right? Like Apple just creates the app store and everybody else develops an app for it. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. I was like, that is really interesting though. And that is an industry where that is for sure an industry where unlike others, where innovation really does flourish because it's like even things like code. Um, what, cause where does, uh, what's that one? You, you have all these code libraries, right? And it's like, people just access the code library mm-hmm. and no one's charging for that. No, They're just providing that. And then all of a sudden, you just have massive, there's just massive waves of innovation that take place in very short periods of time. Right. Yeah. So it's like, why has that industry grown so rapidly and fast? Why, I, I don't maybe understand it's actually really culturally, why like maybe culturally, it's literally just because that's that's the way that that industry is operated and most industries don't operate on that framework of like, hey, right. here's a bunch of free inf- free work. And this, that, that not boring article kind mm-hmm. of ties into that, like the, because uh, it's kind of easy to build a library. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a coding library. It's really easy to do. Like there are, there are thousands of coding libraries cause it's easy to do. And mm-hmm. so like what these people do is they build these coding libraries. They know the ins and out of them. And then they build an app or a protocol or something on top of it. That is actually the revenue maker. So they're open source the library yep. and use it basically. Sure. That's what GitHub is too. GitHub. That's what I was thinking about. Okay. Should we do it? Yeah. Do it. Do it. Okay. Energy. Have fun. Too much Actually, fun. That's yeah. <laughs> that is pretty much it. <laughs> oh man. It's boring. Damn. He was. It's boring for them. Uh, all right. Here we go. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day. It is Monday morning, 1037 a.m. And we just had the best weekend. And today we're going to be talking about our investment strategy. Layer by layer, day by day, the world, our markets, and your life unfolds. Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring our world, the financial markets, and scaling your financial life. 
Tom Statham, Jacob Radke, Dan Schuster, and Noah Jezdahl work for Fiel Capital, and all opinions expressed by Tom, Jacob, Dan, Noah, or any podcast guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Fiel Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as basis for investment decisions. Tom, Jacob, Dan, and Noah are registered representatives of Sanctuary Securities and investment advisor representatives of Sanctuary Advisors. Fiel Capital is a DBA of Sanctuary Securities and Sanctuary Advisors. That's right. Yes. It's beautiful. How, how we invest... And more so, really decisions that lead us to invest. That be is that a good way to frame that? It's pretty good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a pretty distinct worldview. Uh, hopefully, you could tell that from you know listening to our podcast. But we're going to talk about that today. There's a lot of topics in here too. It's it's not I, that's what I like actually about this one in particular. I think this is something for people to get excited about. Is it's this is not just going to be talking about what's going on in the markets. Not just going to be talking about what's going on in the economy. I feel like we're really going to dig in here on things like like more the uh, the the ideas behind it. It's like well, what do we do? What do we do with changing world and AI? What do we do with uh, you know just not sitting back and basically letting our things letting our financial life kind of just cruise on autopilot. It's like we're actually getting into some really good actionable items here. That's right. That's right. And our strategy works for uh, pretty much, uh, we've designed it to work in any environment. And why? Because people, our clients, live through every single environment possible, whether mm-hmm. it's good times, bad times, uh, you know, crisis in Europe, crisis in Asia, crisis in the United States. Like, People have needs for their money. Therefore, our strategies need to last and really thrive in any sort of market cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the math, like if you're, say, my age or a little bit older than me, you're Dan's age, almost 30 or whatever, you'll probably have 18, another 18 years that are somewhat similar framework, not necessarily the similar circumstances, but to like 2022. Yes. Yep. Like there will be several, maybe almost 20 more years where you're going to experience turmoil or something weird oh yeah, yeah. there's totally. always crisis on statistics always, always crisis yeah right. so again there's always crisis in the world and there's crisis in your life and so you need to from an investments perspective understand that one could happen both could happen at the same time and your money needs to do something for you in those moments so that's what we're going to talk about boom all right let's talk about it let's do it all right so first things first there's no silver bullet so when it comes to an investing, you cannot have it all. I heard an interesting thing that it just takes, it's not a silver bullet that wins. It's a bunch of lead bullets that win. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There is no free lunch in investing. There is no silver bullet. There is no strategy that works in every single market cycle. And how we know that is because we are all here listening to a podcast about investing. No one's figured this out. It is impossible to figure out. There is no silver bullet in investing. Mm-hmm. And if somebody tells you there's a silver bullet investing, run. Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> that's, that's one of those scary things. <laughs> yes. I actually have a, a LinkedIn post going out sometime this week or next about um, how we are in a new, we are in a once in a generation lift in interest rates, right? So once in a generation and there's still gurus out there talking about this is the way. Mm-hmm. This is like what you need to be doing. This one asset class, this one investment will propel you through X, Y, Z. Yep. Like you're probably wrong. Right. <laughs> right. right. This one stock has a 17% yield. 
Right. And that's the problem with the silver bullet mentality, right? It's like, it, it's like saying there's only, there's only one way to, to slice a pizza. Ooh, that's probably controversial, right? Ooh. You know, there's only one way to do this. There's only one way to do that. There's only one way for you to make a million dollars, um, you know, to do it by the time you turn 30. It's like, well, no, this, that's, that's actually not, you start dealing in these absolutes and, and in the, you start, you start c- conversing with people in terms of like, oh yeah, this is a definitive here. It's like, well, it's your not definitive. necessarily right. Right. It's so subjective. It's so situational. It so comes down to who you are. So comes down to what you want, what you're trying to do. That's where you've got to take everything with everything has pros and cons. Yes, exactly. And here's the reason why this is the case. Everyone out there is because investing is very mathematical. The people who invest are not mathematical. They're human beings that have consciences, that have emotions, that have screaming kids, uh, poopy diapers, uh, you know, older people who are, you know, in their 80s, who are, you know, busy with going to physical therapy all week long to recover from a surgery who maybe don't have the time or they're nervous. You know, people are people and people mm-hmm. make up the markets and that's why there's no silver bullet is because we are not always rational beings mm-hmm. as much as we think we are. So I'm going to walk you guys through the last seven years uh, of what asset class, high-level asset class did the best. So we're going to start in 2016. So the number one performing asset class in 2016, high-yield debt, 2027, or excuse me, 2017, China stocks, 2018 cash, 2019 U.S. equities, 2020 Chinese equities, 2021 commodities, 2022 commodities. Those are the last seven years. Those were the leading asset classes, you know, per year. And good luck picking out the winner at the start of each year. (laughs) Yeah, it's never going to happen. Can we also just point out the fact that 2018 cash was the leading, that was the, the top performing asset class. You just got to yeah. love when the Fed raises <laughs> rates is all I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, let's go back to 2018. Uh, if you guys remember, maybe you don't, maybe you do. 2018 wasn't a bad year until like the end. December. Yep. So like the markets were doing fine until we had, the market went down like 19.8% that year in December. And therefore, you know, probably U.S. stocks would have been some of the best best uh, performing asset classes in 2018 until it wasn't. Right. Had, right. Had we not had a big drawdown in December. Yes. Yep. Correct. Yep. Correct. So all things to say, commodities and U.S. stocks and Chinese stocks and high yield debt, they're all very different asset classes, by the way. Very like, different. Yeah. When, you, when you're talking about like investing in a basket of commodities versus investing in a basket of U.S. stocks, we're talking about like grain versus Salesforce. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like similarities between the two other than the people at Salesforce, maybe eat some bread uh, over lunch <laughs> on a sandwich, right? Like those are very different. And again, like there's no strategy that works in all economic cycles. And that's why like in, in our weekend reads, the newsletter uh, that that we produce every weekend. That's really the point we're getting at here. Is like there's really no, there's no perfect silver bullet. There's no like one shot to get them all done. Yep. And at some point, you have to make decisions about how you invest, because if you don't, somebody will force your hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think about the last ten years, what strategy worked? Momentum. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like you go from the GFC to COVID, it was just momentum. Even by the stocks COVID. that are going up. Yeah. Correct. It was basically what right. is what momentum is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so, um, uh, anyway, I was, there was something at Davis that was really funny that I'm, I'm not going to repeat, but, um, that is like what worked. And so there are, there, I would argue there's probably tens of millions of investors right now in the United States who still think momentum is the strategy, who still think that, oh yeah, like I'm just going to buy stocks that are already going up thinking that it'll work. That like very well might not happen. It hasn't happened in 2022. 2023 is obviously a little different market, but uh, that was like, that momentum worked because interest rates were nothing. The cost of money was free. And a quote from over the weekend again, when I was in New York, it's like, uh, Stan Drunkenmiller said, if you give people free money, they do stupid things. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the cost of money isn't free right now because interest rates are higher. And so, you know, there's going to be investors. And I think we've seen this, it's, the bubble's probably almost popped, but you know, people who had free money, companies that had free money, you know, they did ultimately stupid things. And, uh, and then here we are, like people are still trying to use that playbook thinking that, Hey, this is the way. And it's like, no, no, no. Like we're, the market's moved. Like yeah. interest rates are, interest rates are off zero and they're going to stay off zero. Right. And the problem with momentum going into 2022 is it was all tech companies, right? It's, it's kind of like a lagging thing. Like for it to go up, you have to wait like three months or whatever for the stocks to go up that you're going to start rotating into. Well, if you think about the end of 2021, it was all tech companies that were the winners, all the biggest companies in the world, they were Googles and whatever. And then those were the ones that failed. So then six months into 2022 is when they started buying like industrials and healthcare companies and all the ones that didn't really lose that much. And then you have into 2023 where now the tech is the one that are winning and they're always lagged three to six months behind. Whereas in 2010 to 2020, it was just everything went up. So buying everything that went up and things that went up faster, it was like, well, there you go. That worked for the momentum there, but it doesn't work when you're lagging. Yes. In a, in a market that's moving so much. So, we're going to get to our investment strategy here. And here's how we pick investments. And here's how we think about this, given what we just talked about. Our thesis here at Fiel is quality growth at reasonable price. That's right. Got to be growing. High level. Quality growth at a reasonable price. And the reason we do this is because we know in business and in life, growth fixes almost all problems. For the listeners out there, if your income is growing at 15% per year, you're making 100,000, then you make 115,000, and then you make, uh, you know, 130,000, you know, whatever, I'm not going to do the math. But like that, that constant high growth fixes a lot of financial problems. But from an investment perspective, if you're paying, you know, 50 times earnings for something that's growing really fast, it's probably, probably a bad investment. Well, it might not be a bad investment, but there's more that can go wrong with something that you're paying more for than over there the is. Term. Yeah, over the long term, than there is something that's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, or more reasonably priced. It doesn't have to be necessarily cheap. That's a value trap. But like, as long as it's reasonably priced and it has stable, growing earnings, it's like, well, there you go. That's probably a little bit more stability, mm-hmm. a little bit more projectability than something that you're paying fifty times for. And it's growing 50% year over year. It's like, well, how sustainable is that? And how much optimism is in the market for this? Right. Correct. Right. Can I make a clarifying point too? Yes. Because I think when we talk about this, uh, just just for some listeners, if you're listening and you're hearing us say quality growth at a reasonable price, when we're talking about price, we're not actually talking about stock 
price per yeah. se, right? The number that you see, oh, look, Chipotle is trading for $1,500 a share. And 2000 Okay, $2,000. We'll call it $2,000 a share, right? Yeah. And I could go over here and buy this stock for $50. Like, Jacob, you could you could dive into this, but you're, we're actually talking about earnings potential. We're talking about valuation metrics, things like price earnings. Yeah, basically, it's like how many dollars, so say Chipotle is $2,000, and they're making two hundred billion dollars or something. You're you're buying like a dollar per billion dollars. I don't know. It's it's basically just something to say like how many are your dollars actually buying of the company's earnings? Mm-hmm. If it's low, then you're buying more of them. If it's high, you're buying less of the company's earnings. Right. Here's why yeah. this is this is is good. The the rule number one in investing is is uh, typically don't lose money. Yeah. Like that's that's number one. And then after that, you know, then it's responsible investing, responsible growth. So given that's, you know, that's really what people want to do. And given that, you know, the people listening, again, statistically, you guys out there are between uh, 25 and 45. That's the probably 60% of our audience. Given that, like you need your money to work for a really long time. Like you need to compound your assets for a really, really, really long time. And that's like the, the, the best way to grow is to just grow, is to grow sustainably over the long term. So, you know, when you guys are thinking about investing, you're like, oh, I'm going to make, you know, X, X, Y, Z returns over the next, you know, two years. Yes, that might, that, yes, that might happen. But if you're paying a ridiculous price for that growth, it's probably not sustainable over the long term. And so that's why it's like you, the first thing we do is look for growth. And then the second thing we do is at a reasonable price. Yep. And the, the yep. reasonable price thing gets you out of a lot of problems. Because yep. again, let's take a look at Peloton. What ended up happening at Peloton was they just simply sold three years worth of Peloton bikes in like three months. Yeah. So investors were like, oh my gosh, look at all this growth, look at all this growth. But what they, a lot of people didn't realize was that no, they actually just sold that many Pelotons over the course of like three years worth in three months and it wasn't sustainable. And so obviously the stock price got way ahead, like way, yep. way ahead yep. and it wasn't sustainable. Right. Yeah. And imagine and, how that feels when that's in your portfolio too, right? Mm-hmm. So you start to bring that down to that level. And it's like, you, if you have these, if you have t- too much of a concentration in unsustainable companies, let's say, um, or your portfolio looks like that, it's like, that's where you get that whipsaw of like, oh, up and down and up and down and up and down. And that is over the long run, definitely not something you're wanting to feel in the portfolio. Yeah. yeah. And it just doesn't lead to great results as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Warren Buffett, I believe his track record is like 19% a year return, 19%. You know, you think of some of what some people are trying to hit, you know, double their money every year. Some people are trying to do ridiculous things with their money Mm -hmm. and it's just not, it's just not sustainable. And it's not, uh, and what it leads to is like when that, when that greed gets into somebody, you know, it clouds their judgment and all they do is they start looking at one side of the ledger and they don't think about profitability and, uh, and it just doesn't lead to great success. Um, an interesting quote again, and I, for everyone out there, I was in New York the, this past week uh, meeting up with Davis Advisors, probably one of our um, most closely aligned uh, asset management companies we work with in terms of just how we view the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they're talking about, and, they're, and, and again, we believe this here, is like, People need to to have sustained returns. You know, you, we don't need to have like these years of massive returns followed by seventy percent drawdowns. 
which you're like, oh no, that's 70% drawdowns. No, we, we totally see portfolios that come in here for people who have sustained 70 to 80% drawdowns mm-hmm. trying to chase growth. Like we have actually seen this in real life. And, uh, and, it, and if we see it here, we know there's many, 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 many more people who don't come in here who don't want our help, right? Yeah. So sustained growth is really what everyone needs. Those constant singles and doubles, not swinging for the fences and you know striking out, but sustained growth yep. over time. That is what quality growth at a reasonable price that is that that is what we are seeking to do. So, and again, this this you know this works whether it's in the equity markets, but this also you know relative valuations in the cash and bond markets as well. This is yeah the bonds just growth very interesting dynamics right now. Yes, yeah. So a skill that everyone out there needs to do what you know when thinking about their investment strategy is a lot of people are good at becoming wealthy. Sounds weird, right? But when you look at the math. The, the amount of people, the amount of families that go from zero to, you know, tens of millions of dollars by the third generation, they're back to zero, right? Um, I know it sounds somewhat controversial to say that, that it's like somewhat easy to get rich, but it's really, it's even harder to stay rich. Yeah. It's even harder to sustain those returns. So you know, when, when people are thinking about their, their financial life, they need to really put themselves in a box in some way, have a strategy that they stick with. Uh, again, Chris Davis was talking about, he sits on the board at Berkshire Hathaway, right? You know, he's, he's friends with, uh, Warren and Charlie fascinating guy. He was like, there is no company that does it better risk management than Berkshire. Like they know what they're doing. They have a long-term strategy. They understand the game that they're playing and they just play it. They don't chase returns. They don't do any of this stuff. They put themselves in a box and they just master that. Think about how much like self-discipline that has to take as not, not, not just as like an individual, but even people serving on the board of a, of a company like that. You know, think about how much discipline that has to take to follow that strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what he does. It's Hard enough to do it in my own life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let alone, right? Let alone multi-billion dollar company, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the most valuable companies like in, in the entire world. But it's like that conviction that people have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's why we're willing to walk through, you know, how we do this and how we think of the world is because we're very convicted about this. Yep. You know, it's like we believe in innovation. We believe that, you know, quality growth at a reasonable price, like that is a very good way for us to box ourselves in and subsequently, you know, offer our clients a solution that, you know, isn't going to, isn't going to like, we're not going to like strike it rich when the market goes crazy, but we're also, you know, not going to, you know, lose as much. And and we believe in diversification um, for a lot of different reasons. And we have looked at, we've looked at so many different companies and, and types of investments over the years. And we get pitched alternatives, this or private equity, this, Um, you know, those aren't inherently bad, but you know, they have to, we have to look through the lens of quality growth at a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. So that is our investment strategy, guys. Yep. If you have any questions, let us know. But as it pertains to your financial life, definitely uh, worth uh, worth considering, right? And again, the rules of investing are first, you know, don't, don't lose money. Um, you know, and you can, so many entrepreneurs, you can go on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, you know, you, you can... Uh, you know, there's those accounts that people interview successful entrepreneurs. 
I don't think I've seen those. The algorithm doesn't feed you. Those no, ones. I've seen, I've seen them. Yeah, Dan Alex and, Lieberman. I see you. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's all these people. I just go around and be like, hey, how, how'd you get there, right? And uh, you know, a lot of them will say, just like stay out of trouble. Yeah. Yep. Just, totally. Just don't run out of money. I told someone over the weekend, and of course, this doesn't necessarily pertain to uh, business or starting a business, but back on the investment management side again, I was like, honestly. Probably the more important, the more important part. Uh, let me try that again. Yep. Honestly, probably the more important part of your investment strategy is not picking all of the winners, but knowing where not to put your money. Yeah. It's like where do you not put money to accidentally blow something up this year, right? Because it's like, could we have told you that I'm going back to this list in 2016? And every year subsequent, like high yield would be the winner, then China equities, then cash, then US equities, then Chinese equities, then commodities, then commodities again. No way. I would not have been able <laughs> to tell you that on January 1, but I could have told you, right? And and this is, I mean, we did tell clients like, hey, here's where we feel you should be positioned and should not be positioned this year because we don't want to take on this risk. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, take his points, China, China equities, like yeah, sure, they're up 50%, but just wait two years later when they're down 80. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. that's basically it. It's like, sure, they might be up this year, but don't hold on to that crap because it might just go sour on you. Yeah. L lots of risk, lots of reward, but right. lots of risk is really what you have to watch out right. for. Yep. So know what to stay away from. Yes. This segues perfectly into uh, one of the articles that we're going to discuss here from uh, this for Ben Carlson. Yeah. So this, uh, Ben Carlson had a, had a reader email into him and was like, I'm in my late 30s. I know that market downturns are an opportunity for me to invest more, but I can't help thinking about what if we go into the period of the 1970s where the market's flat, right? And this was actually a very intelligent question. What I want to point out to our listeners for you is just like we have, we in some ways put ourselves in a box with quality growth at a reasonable price, we also have put ourselves in a box on rebalancing. And what does rebalancing means? It's, you know, being disciplined on, you know, take, you know, selling the winners and buying the losers mm -hmm. systematically throughout the year. And that's ultimately what Ben gets down to here is like, um, obviously there's, he goes into a little bit of the emotion side of this. Um, but like if something like the markets are never perfectly flat, right? Like they always move around every three years, the, the, the stock market goes into a bear market and you know, when you have systematic trading, when you have checks and balances in your personal life to, you know, to, to sell and then to buy low, that's how you can get, a, you can get around some of these scary environments, even the ones that we might potentially be going into, which is, you know, lower or flat returns. He has an interesting quote in here. You're not going to find a generational buying or selling opportunity once every month. <laughs> That is what the premise of this article was. And I was just like, gosh, I just can't believe how good of a line that is. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Everybody wants it to happen. Everybody wants that 50% day. Yep. That's not a day that's going to happen every now and again. Like that's only going to happen like maybe once, maybe once every 10 years, you're going to see some crazy anomaly where you're going to see an absolutely generational buying opportunity. Yep. yep. Like that's not an every month occurrence. Totally. Totally. And what's interesting about that too is I think Ben Carlson has also been the one who's posted some articles like this where he's talked about, you know, hey, here's here's the, uh, um, or maybe this was Nick who posted them, but comparison of here's people who bought and held 
uh, and they took advantage of those days, right? Where it was like, you had massive growth. And here's a comparison of the people who bought the day after the massive growth. So let's say you missed out on all those days. What's fascinating about it is, you know, who ends up with more money at the end? Obviously, the people who took advantage of the massive growth days. But guess what? The people who even missed the days but still stayed consistent and disciplined on I am still just going to continue to buy even though I missed the big up days, they still end with phenomenal amounts of financial resources. And 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 it goes again. I'm not. It's like yes, you can compare it as apples to apples. Well, this person still had more money. It's like well, yeah, but the, this person actually still had enough to live off of. They mm-hmm. still had enough to like fulfill some of their dreams. They still had enough to kind of you know take care of, take care of their kids, take care of their family. Um, but discipline was still the key component that actually made that possible. Right, and you said it last time. Cash is like an active investment. The longer you hold cash, the better investor you have to be. Because say you had eighty five thousand dollars in twenty two thousand or whatever, you missed the big up or whatever, and then you didn't want to buy it because you were scared, and you held cash for fifteen years. But the person was buying at the top of the bubble in two thousand, and they held through, and they did all these things. They'd probably still have; they're going to have more than your eighty five thousand in cash yes, that you have right. fifteen yes. years later. Yes, and so like you have to be a really great investor fifteen years later to actually make up the lost time yes, over, yes. over those fifteen years. And that's an optimistic thing. And the thing I'd point out to the listeners too is like that's a note of optimism and a note of hope. Actually, when it comes to investing, is if you miss the big up days, it's like all hope is not lost whatsoever. Yeah. It's like, whatever, just, just don't, just don't give up. It's like, well, just continue to, you know, continue to put money away, continue to fund the 401k, continue to put money in the brokerage account, get it in the markets. So you, so you fine. hit the next big up day, right? Exactly. Right. So you hit the next big up day. Yeah. Here's a rule of thumb for everyone out there when it comes to like how to do this, because I can hear people you know, listening or just their thoughts saying, oh my gosh, I, I'm an optimist. You, you you won't believe what my my life looks like. So here's a good rule of thumb to live by. Invest like an optimist, save like a pessimist. Mm. Yep. Like that Beautiful. that is probably the simplest way to do this well. Is like, are we are we optimists here? Absolutely. But are we pessimists? Like, yeah, the world's kind of scary right now. So like given given the reality of our current situation, over the long term, be an optimist when it comes to investing. But then as it comes to your personal cash flow, you know, month over month, your job situation, be a pessimist. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, oh, I think the world's going to, like, I think I'm going to get laid off. Well, then save money. Yep. The glass is neutral. Not full, not half full, not yeah. half empty. It's yeah, half it's full neutral. investing than on, on, on the personal yeah. side, you know, it's half empty. Right? Yeah, basically. So, and, and people always sound smart when they're bearish. So, you know, don't get freaked out by all these people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the reasons why Warren Buffett is so wealthy is because he's invested in optimism. He's invested. He ensures things that scare the heck out of other people. And he's managed his risk extremely well. But he's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's an optimist. And he's been an optimist for as long as you go. You can go back to, uh, you can read any one of his letters. You can, you know, he thankfully goes on CNBC a lot not a lot, but like he's willing to a share fair his amount. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's just an optimist. Yep. 19.8% per annum returns for, you know, 60 years later. It's worked out well for him. I'll be an optimist for that kind of return. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh. All right. So uh, let's talk about AI here. Um, AI most likely is uh, is in a bubble right now. There are startups around the country that are getting funded right now. I did see, I think this was on LinkedIn this morning about, 
uh, VCs who are actually starting to pull back already from the craze. So mm-hmm. for everyone out there, we are in month seven since ChatGPT has been re- released. And there are like 5,000 AI companies. Maybe an exaggeration, probably an exaggeration, but there are a lot but of there's them. there's a lot, lot of them. That's the point. Yeah. And uh, so Google just had their Google I.O. day, whatever, unveiling some of their newest AI accomplishments. Bard, 10 times better than ChatGPT. Not even going to lie. It Seriously? Does, it does some amazing things. No way. They, they, introduced, wow. they introduced like the code stuff. Like you can go in and like view GitHub code stuff. You can do wow. it. I mean, it does basically everything. And it's on the like world's best search, right? Sure. That's what Google is. Right. Like it's the world's best search. Wait, you're not saying Bing's the best search engine? <laughs> no, it isn't the best search engine. It just had AI first and I was going to use it. <laughs> I was talking to Jacob about this last week. Oh, and I was sorry, I, Bing. I tried... I, I got to admit too, I don't know if I could quantify it as like how many times better it is, but I was using Bard last week and it is, it's so it good. is a cut above chat. Really? Yeah. Oh, dang and guys, I, I got to get on this. I told Jacob, I was like, Jacob, the, you, you've been using Bing and I've, I tested Bing in the, the Bing search, search engine for a while and I just, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't handle so it. So the search engine is bad. <laughs> like if you're actually searching something, Bing is pretty bad. At giving you the right answer, giving you an, uh, a not sim- surprise sim- there. Yeah. But what I liked about it is I could just go in there and use the chat thing and mm-hmm. just be like, hey, what's mm-hmm. this? And then it would give it to me. Like right. that worked right. phenomenally well. But now Bard is ex- way better about it because it actually is built into Google search. Right. right. So you've got the AI plus you've got the search capabilities of Google. It's kind of a home run or a slam yeah. dunk. Yeah. Depending and on what analogy you want to Real time with the internet. Right. I know Bing is too, but like ChatGPT is not real time with the internet. Yeah. Unless you have like some plugin. I think there's some plugin for it where you can get real time. But like, it's, it's just so incredible. And there's also, they also unveiled a bunch of things like email, automated email, the Gmail stuff, dang. their docs, Word, oh, dang. stuff like that. I'm so excited. Or not Word, but docs and sheets and all that stuff, mm-hmm. the productivity apps and Google they kind of they kind of seem like they were the ones that were going to die. Like the, we were talking about this, the innovators' dilemma. Like, do are they going to disrupt their rainmaker? All of their money comes from advertising. Like if they if they don't, they're just going to die. So they're like, well, crap. I guess we're just going to do it then. So right? a couple years know, ago, have to. a couple years ago, Google invested alongside Honeywell a billion dollars into quantum computing, and and uh, and, and so they built an office in, I think it was like Santa Barbara or something, someplace yep. S- yep. in Southern California. It doesn't surprise me that Google just did a little bit of a mic drop on the industry with their AI. Like they're they're not going to be right. They're not going to be wrong, but they'll figure it out, right? When you have that many smart people at a company, they're, they're going to figure it out. And what I want to tell the listeners, I'm sure the listeners are like, oh my gosh, you guys talk about AI so much. It is really like, this really does matter. And I think- what I want to tell people and what I heard over the weekend again uh, from the Davis crew is that like AI is coming for the blue collar, white collar jobs. Yeah. So data entry is no longer. Yeah. Like there's, if you have like a blue collar, white collar job, so a, a pretty, like you, you just do one thing at a company, repetitive, very, very repetitive, um, similar to, you know, somebody on the Ford the Ford, uh, uh, you know, Model A line, right? And like all that person did was like put the steering wheel on. Like there's a lot of white collar jobs that do that. 
uh, you know, theoretically that person is just putting the steering wheel on some X function in the company, like AI is coming for those jobs. So what's really important right now for, for the listeners out here is, you know, understand what type of job you have. Do you have like a blue collar, white collar job? I, I guess those are the jobs that are, that AI are coming for. And right now we know statistically there is a huge gap in the market between what companies want from their employees and the skill set of our labor force. And right now, you know, software works 24 seven, it gets smarter, like this stuff is coming and it's going to come fast. Um, and so just be careful. Again, this is kind of where the pessimism comes in, like understand your skill set, know where you're going, know, know what you're good at, what you're not good at. And, you know, move to where the market's going, particularly from the labor market, like move there because that's where the jobs are and that's where the money's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another interesting thing about Google is they own probably like 95% of the search market, like a ton of it. It's, it's 90. It's 90%. 90%. Yeah. It's and insane. like when you think of that distribution network to roll out an AI service, like nobody's really going to switch if it's like, uh, well, Google's BARD is like 90% of chat GPT. Like it's, it's not quite a hundred percent, but like it's still built into a browser. I'll just use it anyway. The distribution there is essential. Yes. yes. And that goes for almost any company, but like for this in particular, it's like if Google's integrating it, like, and they already own 90% of it, it's going to be so easy for everybody just to continue using Google or switch yep. back to Google. Yep. I agree. What people don't understand about investing in how money works is that there's the money's in the infrastructure and the data. Yeah. So, um, what that means is, Per Jacob's point, Google has the data. Google also has the infrastructure to make this happen. Like they may not have the AI figured out. They may not exactly know what is Scott, but like they they generally have the the, the infrastructure to build this. And when it comes to people's personal financial life, if the money is in data and infrastructure, like build infrastructure for your personal life, like build infrastructure to make, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to make more money, to make it easier for you to make more money, to make it easier for you to, budget better to make it easier for you to invest like that infrastructure is is money and and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years you know that says you know the money's in the infrastructure mm-hmm. and that's why we talk about automating money so much uh because it's it's a point of leverage that you can build for yourself and as it pertains to Google and AI that's what they're doing like they have the infrastructure and and you know uh, Sundeer said you know we're not necessarily interested in being first you know we're not necessarily but but Google is interested in winning this battle. Being last. Yep. yep. Yeah. And they're like yeah. they're gonna figure out because they have the data and the infrastructure. Totally. And that's just like it's just like when they un, uh when they unveiled Bard for the first time too, they had that big slip up on stage of uh oh yeah, look, uh, the the international James Webb, yeah. Was, oh yeah, the James Webb, yeah. the telescope, right? Yeah, that was that was the issue. Comes out poorly there, but look at this. They come back and to your point, they've got infrastructure and they have team and they'll figure it out, right? They're they're gonna work to figure this thing out. And uh, the infrastructure there is to support it to figure it out. Yeah, so many like so many lessons. And uh, when you think about some of these big companies, right? Quality growth at a reasonable price. So let's go back to that for a second. So right now there are companies that are just wildly expensive, not at a good price. Like these big companies. What's interesting right now, and this isn't a solicitation, right? Like we're we're just we're we're not telling you to buy anything. Uh, you know, these are just things to think about. Um, you know, there, there could be some tremendous long-term growth for, there, there's going to be, excuse me, there's going to be tremendous growth in AI for a small number of companies. Yeah. There's going to be thousands of companies that flame out because they just, they just honestly didn't build something that the market wanted. 
there's going to be some really, really long-term trends. And so, you know, that's, those are the companies you ultimately want to, to find. It's like, who's going to benefit over the long-term, mm-hmm. not just the, the flash in the pan, uh, you know, companies. Mm-hmm. Is this like dissimilar to the dot-com bubble? If you go back to the 2000s, or is this kind yeah. of similar in a way? Cause I, I feel like, you know, the dot-com bubble, it's like, oh, the internet is going to be a thing and you have all these companies and you have pets.com and blah, 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 right. You have all this stuff come out and it was a flash in the pan for thousands, I would say, probably hundreds or, or thousands of these companies, poof, they just fizzle out to nothing. But there's Amazon, right? Yeah. Amazon yeah. sticks it out and Microsoft now here we are, right? Whatever. So Google was one of them. Yeah. So again, uh just a qu- uh, some knowledge from our from the weekend, or this was on the weekend on Friday. Um, this uh, one of the particular people at the conference I was at was was talking about how how tech moves in decade long decade long I <laughs> I hate to use this word tranches, but tech moves in, in, in decade long cycles. And the cycle that we just left was cloud. And that was a period of consolidation mm. where the big three cloud p- players. So that's going to be, um, Azure, AWS, and, uh, to a smaller extent, Google cloud, you know, they, they, they were, they were, uh, points of consolidation and this happened in the chip market as well, but mm. mainly, mainly in the software. So the, you know, tech was very, very, you know, top heavy and, you know, these big companies consolidated on their platform. And then we investors who owned these companies obviously were, you know, benefited massively, right? The cloud was one of the best business models ever. Now with AI, you know, the thought is that, you know, this will actually distribute returns elsewhere. Like this will be a point in time where just the returns are going to be distributed and uh, and there's going to be some tremendous opportunity in this, uh, but but we're at this uh, I think within tech you know an inflection point, uh, and it's going to be mainly through through AI. And what's crazy about this, and I think this is going to be hard for investors to figure out. I think people's minds are going to be blown. The like tech is going through a big change with AI, and our workforces at the same time that interest rates have lifted off zero. So mm. I just can't think of mm. a point in time where there's like these really like long-term changes that are happening in real time. Um, and I just have one word to say to everyone, just stay diversified. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting though? Like, you know, we've got the lift off in interest rates and then, you know, a new, really a new era of investing through, through AI. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give a quick shout out to it's kind of, this just popped in my head, but pre pre fiel capital, Tom and I, we, when we were at UBS, shout out to Kevin Deneen, who was one of the analysts there, because I remember talking to Kevin Deneen, uh, he, he, he was a tech analyst and he would, there was one particular conversation where he said, here's the five trends I'm watching. He listed off five trends. And then the final one he said five years ago is AI and AR. And he said, I think I'm going to focus the rest of my career on AI and AR. That was his prediction. And now five years later, I'm like, wow, he was 100%. Okay. I I should be careful to make a (laughs) a claim like this, but it appears that he was spot on on that call. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're again, investing in innovation. Yeah. That's one of the core tenets of what we do. Um, and shout out to Kevin. I, I, yeah, well, he's probably not listening to this, but yep. <laughs> well done. Shout out to him. Yeah. For so his own the, personal thing too. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So the, the last article I want to, uh, touch on here guys 
is does anything get cheaper? So this was on the the Substack spilled coffee. It's it's a great it's a great read. Uh, Jacob's posted I think a number of these. Yeah, uh, I love this one. Yeah, it's this, so good. This is a good good newsletter. Definitely shout out to them. Um, what I want to talk about here, there's a lot of people who are waiting to do things because it's too expensive. I'm, I'm, I would wager again in the tens of millions, like I'm not going to do something. I'm going to wait for prices to go down. That is definitely something that we have heard about inside here, particularly with housing. Mm-hmm. So this article has some interesting, interesting data. And again, you guys can all check this out in the show notes. What my biggest takeaway here is that services become more expensive year over year. Like people's time, like if you're doing something, if you're waiting for some somebody to do something for you, so again, a service, it's going to get more expensive. Oh, for sure. Because mm-hmm. there's a human in, in, involved. Yeah, versus goods. Like yep. goods are scalable. iPhones are scalable. App, uh, Tim Cook's time is not scalable. Yep. Yeah. I think there's some there's some stat or, or Nvidia just did this this year. Their newer chip that came out, or maybe it was last year, was cheaper than the chips that came before it. Yes. So the brand new chip was cheaper than the previous chip, which is kind of interesting yeah. to think yeah. about. Yeah, that it's is fast. More power, more computing. Yeah, there's an interesting book I'm reading right now. This book called Super Abundance by a gentleman named Marion Tupi and uh, Gail Pooley, the the co-authored it. Uh, one of the things that they talk about though, and it hits exactly on this point, is they, they do some price comparisons of the cost of commodities, um, both on the US side, as well as I think they have a basket of 45 different countries that they compare it against over the last 30 years, 50 years, 200 years. And the commodities, right, the goods, when we're talking about production of goods, the cost of those things have gone down substantially particularly when you you know you look back 200 years they've gone back, gone down substantially but even in terms of labor hours it's like how much how many hours do i have to work to buy a bushel of wheat in 30 years 50 years that's gone down substantially and that goes for minerals and that type of thing as well but it, interesting reading kind of ties into this too because i think you're right it's like the the goods um at least the goods are the first thing you start to see the prices go down on but um those services because time is limited for everybody, yeah. there is no way to scale that time per se. Maybe we can live longer and you know, medicine continues to get better and our life expectancies increase. But um, yeah, the time becomes more valuable and services subsequently become more expensive as you charge more. Yes. So, you know, the people who are waiting to do X, Y, Z, um, you know, largely speaking, if you're waiting to buy an iPhone, like the iPhone's probably going to cost the same or more, but it's going to be better. Yeah, because hopefully you'll be have made more than the iPhone price has gone up. Yeah, yep. yep. Or like the iPhone just has more memory. Like there's product yeah. features that, so so it's not like iPhones are going to go down in price. It's not like these goods are necessarily going to go down in price. But if you're waiting to do something that involves somebody's time, that's going to be more expensive. So just yeah. like a tidbit out there for everyone, because again, I I, I just, I've, I've had a lot of conversations, particularly with clients, um, you know, about like, oh, I'm waiting to do this because X, Y, Z. Um, so anyways, this chart is, uh, is interesting. So the, the chart in my mind, everyone out there. So, you know, when you finish listening to this, subscribe to weekend reads and then, uh, check out spilled coffee. Cause you'll see services are way more expensive. And about the only goods that have gone down are TVs and toys. I should get and into cameras. the <laughs> educational books and supplies market. Yeah. That's my the place gosh. to be right there. Some yeah. over a hundred percent 
price growth from 2000 to today. Gosh. Yeah. But Isn't that you, crazy? Those year old textbooks though, as soon as those textbooks are a year old, I mean, the price goes down 75%. That was my college hack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw like a Hebrew, Hebrew Bible that got sold on auction for like one of the oldest ones or, or the oldest one or something. It was like millions of dollars. I was like, well, and it might've been in the tens of millions. I can't remember now. Wow. Crazy. It's in the Wall Street Journal. Okay, that was my next question. Like, what auction are you watching <laughs> yeah, no, that-, <laughs> that has Hebrew Bibles? Yeah, I don't oh, know. It was it's interesting. A, it's in the journal. Yep. So, well, guys, uh, we are about at the 40. We should do the mark. Charlie Munger quote. Oh, it is okay. fantastic. All right. Shout out to Charlie. Is Charlie 99? I don't even know. I, I don't think, think he's he 99. I think he's a little bit younger than that. Give him a little credit. All right, right. Let's hit it up here. Jacob. All right. What gives you opportunity is other people doing dumb things. In the 58 years we've been running Berkshire, I would say there's been a great increase in the number of people doing dumb things and they do big, dumb things. Charlie Munger. 2023. 2023. That was at his annual shareholder meeting like two weeks ago or something. It was last week, I think. Oh my gosh. He he is 99. I can verify he's 99. He is 99. So take it from somebody who's 99, who runs one of the biggest companies in all of the world. Don't do dumb things. <laughs> yeah, because this guy right here will take advantage of you. So there's always start doing thumb, <laughs> smart things. Yes. <laughs> I have a LinkedIn post going out in the next couple of days that says, if you don't have a goal, you will become somebody else or you will be funding somebody else's goal. Like mm. be smart. And, uh, and also seriously, just work with people who who have have your best interest in mind. That is what we do day in and day out. I feel is we work to make other successful people more successful to protect them. Just don't be an idiot. You know, be smart. Charlie Munger himself has said, "I have seen a great increase in the number of people doing dumb things." So we should expect to be dumb almost, and then seek to be wise, right? That's right. Um, like avoid those mistakes. So anyways, thank you everyone out there. Uh, you know, huge shout out to Charlie Munger too for just, you know, constantly barraging us with these just hilarious one-liners. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. These guys are living legends. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Dan, thanks for coming on. Of course. Uh, Jay Radke, thank you for your time. Uh, everyone out there, if you have some feedback, send us an email at laminatemoneypodcast at fielcapital.com. It is still the world's hardest email, but that is that. Uh, we'll see you guys next week on the podcast. Thanks. Peace. Peace.